Blog Talk Radio. Editing and mixing, brother. So I'm I'm in wave file hell right now. But uh, 
<laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but but all is good, man. Uh, I wish I was outside enjoying the weather, uh, but I'm in uh, this little room. So, But it's all good. It's all good. It's, uh, you know, thank God for work. So if everything's cool, man, just, uh, just doing the do. How the rest of you guys doing? Uh, Scott doesn't know anything about wave file hell. No, so, I, I know, Mondo, I know, does that mean I know you're a great having, deal. <laughs> yeah, does that mean you're having issues with your Winamp player, Mondo? What's that? <laughs> does that mean you're having issues with your Winamp player? Oh, uh, well, when, look. <laughs> I think I, that I, must I, be I, an engineer joke, because I don't get it. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Well, <laughs> there should be a limitation to how much editing editing you have to do on vocals, and if I have to do a certain amount, you probably shouldn't be singing. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> All right. All right. Little little engineering philosophy from Mondo. Good, yeah. good stuff there. Yeah. And what, what kind of you last week? Last week was crazy for you, and you were taking a break to do the radio show. Did you get through your yeah. stuff? Yeah, man, the week was great, and I'm in the home stretch before uh, the big 25K trail race this weekend, so I'm in that window where um, I think that I have the plague, a cold, I broke my leg, um, and I'm having uh, probably some sort of emotional issue as well. So that's kind of how it works when I run a race. Everything feels like it's broken uh, or is about to break in the the four days leading up to it. Uh, So, yeah. Lots of fun. Uh, just been excited for this weekend and uh, excited to be chatting with you guys. Um, you know, Newton, uh, this race you're going to run next weekend, the Iron Mountain Race yeah. In, yeah. Uh, in Virginia, just about a year ago, my son Daniel asked me to run the race as well. And I, right. of course, laughed in his face and said no. Um uh, <laughs> And then he handed me a book, and he said, please read this book. The book is called uh, Born to Run, Yeah, uh, a very engaging, very entertaining, engrossing book. Halfway through it, I called him up, and I said, okay, I'm in. Um, the, 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 the book sold me on the idea of endurance running. And I dutifully uh, ordered the shoes, the no-lift shoes, um, and I started <laughs> – <laughs> did, you, uh, wait, I, did you get the shoes with the little toes? Because I want to picture you in the shoes. No, no, no. no. I, I didn't get the oh. little feet shoes, no. But I did get the minimalist shoes, actually two pairs yeah. of minimalist shoes. And, uh, you know, I bought a heart, heart rate monitor. I got a cute little running outfit. Uh, I was all set. To do it. Uh, Am I a podcast? Is this is this the <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, are you talking? Are you talking about cute little outfits on the Samson yeah, I Monk podcast? I, 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 I believe I believe he's talking about accessorizing before actually working. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so, go on, Nate. I'm oh, curious oh, how this story ends because I don't oh, remember you ever hearing about a race that you ran. All of this <laughs> is going somewhere. I then also publicly committed to people that I was going to do it. I began to brag about it. Bring it up in conversation. Yeah. Um, and then I started running. And that's where the, the complications arose. Because although, you know, I my brain was convinced that my body was made to do this, and if I would just relearn the right way to run and all that kind of stuff, that I was actually going to feel better by if I would do this. Um, somehow my body did not buy the message and uh and and i just kept feeling worse and worse and worse so my body was just going what the heck are you doing you know and um so i i am not i am not born to run i'm born to watch netflix and eat potato chips um and uh so are we leaving up to the part where you tell me that me and daniel are liars (laughs) yes um, now, Daniel, my son Daniel and Newton had run that race last year, and they're going to run it again this year. Although Daniel's going to go, he's he's aiming for the 50k. Um, yeah. And I finally had to uh, 
I finally discontinued my training and then a couple of weeks later told my son, yeah, I'm sorry, bud. You know, I'm, I love you. I wish I could do it. The idea was great. I, I just couldn't pull it off. How, how long does one have to train before you say I discontinued my training? I was, I was leaving the house and, 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 you know, and running and coming back, you know, out of breath, red faced and sweating for about two to three weeks. Um, uh, okay, I think I think we just need to call that quitting and not continue okay. trading. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Nate. There's, yeah, Nate. There's. So, I'm going to make you feel better right now. There's. Yeah. There's a really there's a really obvious piece of this puzzle. There's a reason that people are suspicious slash do not like Europeans. It's because uh-huh. they speak in kilometers and look down on everybody else. <laughs> oh, I. See. Clearly, do the same thing. They can't say, "I'm going to run five miles." They got to talk in kilometers. I have no idea how long fifty kilometers is. For all I know, that's like around my living room and back. So there's some kind of illegal European snobbery going on, and so I choose to boycott running because of that kind of European snobbery. Okay. Oh no, it's all it's all in my head. There's, I'm running sixteen miles. But 25K just feels so much better than 16 miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, if you gave me 25K to run 16 miles, it's <laughs> 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 all about distance. I, oh. that's, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, so, that's uh, good, Aaron. That was a very nice setup. Now, here's my point. Discontinued trainer. Being rebuffed and rebuked, and somehow Scott's going to tie this into manliness, I'm sure. I don't know, man. I'm I'm thinking of just hanging up right now. (laughs) I'm actually going somewhere somewhere with this story. Here it is. You ready? I'm going to bring it in for a landing. This is it. Here's the whole point. Um, I was convinced on a theoretical level um, and thought that my knowledge of what what I'd read about running, what I was pretty sure I understood about running – um, was enough uh, to carry me through a race. What I didn't have was any practical experience. Um, uh, it, it is, uh, you know, we had a guest, uh, a good guest last week talk, talking about uh, masculinity, about men in the church. There are a lot of theories out there about how uh, to help Christian men along the male journey. Most of that knowledge and most of the understanding that we think we have is um, uh, high-flown, sensible, and largely theoretical. What really counts, though, is um, ability, uh, uh, experience, really, an ability to to, uh, road test what we think we know and find out what actually works and what doesn't, to find out where our limitations actually are. Um, and it can be very humbling to come down off the, you know, to climb down out of the ivory tower and put our uh, theories to the test and start walking down the road. So anyway, our guest yeah. today is, is a man who uh, was not content uh, merely to theorize about masculinity. You read some books early on. Hey, what got you started? What reading got you started? This is before Samson, as I recall, Scott. Where'd you get started on this whole well, uh, masculine journey thing? I, I I would just really briefly, because I want to I want to I want to quickly dive into right, right where you left off, Nate. And and I think with a, a lot of guys in the in the early nineties, um, John Eldridge was a real catalyst for a lot. Of yeah. Guys. Some guys, some guys really seemed to miss the mark on Wild at Heart, and they were they were put off by the fly fishing and getting outside in the mountains and all of that stuff. And they were like, "Well, that's not me." So, so they kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater in that regard. And really, what 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 he was trying to get at was God is much bigger than you, and you're a man, and you need to be moved in a in a major way to do anything at all to get out of your head. And the outdoors is is bigger than you, and God's out there. And and so you know there wasn't. Um, so, so a lot of guys, I think, didn't didn't go along with. But I, I was all the way in, and he yeah. woke me up to the idea that I was wounded, that I was um, 
in some regards fully fathered and that I needed some serious refathering. Yeah. And uh so I, you know, I I I went to a few studies at my church say, that had say, to do with say, the book. Say, and, say and, that and again, Scott. Say it again that you say what again. You woke up the idea that you were fully fathered. Poorly, poorly fathered. fathered. Oh, poorly fathered. All right. Poorly okay. fathered. Go on. Yeah, yeah. And and that I needed to be refathered. Um, and and so all, all that to say, you know, I ended up going to the source. You know, I went to the went to the mountain, went to the uh, did some wild at heart retreats, and and just came back um, feeling like I had learned a new language, but didn't have anybody to speak it with. Yeah. So I, I'm going to skip some stuff and just say I ended up hearing Nate um, hearing Nate do the the Samson and David. Um, uh, what, sorry, uh, what was it? Yeah. You preached. You preached on a Sunday morning at Christ Community, yeah. and yeah. and it, and I went up to him afterwards, uh, said hello, and he said, "Well, what are you doing Monday night?" And so I went to my first uh, Sam Society meeting that that Monday night, and I realized that I was home, that I found what I was looking for, that that's where the brave men were, and and so for me the beginning, you know, the real beginning of what I what Nate called the masculine journey was, you know, it's coming up on ten years now of sitting in rooms with brain and putting their stuff out in the middle of the room and and being as honest as they could. I, I mean, the craziest thing I've ever done is meet every week on a Monday night for the last, you know, nine or ten years now um, and put my crap out there and have guys look me dead in the eye and basically say, yeah, me too. Yeah. So, I mean, that was really the beginning of um, of me thinking about uh, this, this stuff. And so... If I Nate, could I just kind of jump into what like, yeah, we're headed? Do. do you have any? Please other, do. Okay. No, no, you go. Man. So I mean, really, what this boiled down to for me was about five years ago, I I, I did what was probably the best thing I've ever done in my life. Um, I conceived, and with a great deal of help, I, I managed to carry out a pretty elaborate rite of passage for my only son. I have two daughters as well. Um, when he turned sixteen, he's twenty-one now. Um, and this was, for me, this was, you know, I, I'm the son of a father who didn't speak much. He, he was a workaholic. Um, he's passed away now. He's more than likely an alcoholic. Um, a good man stayed married to my, my mom, you know, for nearly 40 years before he passed away, you know, did the job, but didn't have anything really to offer in, in, in much for a, you know, an artistic kid, a sensitive kid a musician, a, a lover of books. He, he just didn't have much to say. And so by the time I was 14 or 15, I had pretty much, you know, the metaphor I use, I feel like I had been dropped off the corner, that he had taken me as far as he could go. Yeah. And um, in later years, I would even make up fatherly advice. Well, my father always said, well, the fact is my father didn't say much at all to me. Yeah. So when my son was 14 or 15, I suddenly found myself off the mat. You know, I, I, you know, I knew how to provide. I knew, you know, I knew a little mm -hmm. bit here and there. You know, but but the reality was was to be an intentional dad. That the, about the best thing I could tell anybody, I knew how to say I, that I was sorry to to my kids. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, everybody yeah. says make sure you tell your kids you love them. You know, fathers and sons have a hard time saying. Well, I could, you know, I, I, that's easy. But you know, for me, there's a built-in I love you in and I'm sorry. So my kids knew I was wounded. They knew I was, you know, faulty. <laughs> they knew I was. Um, but I was at a point where I knew I wanted to do something intentional and there were two triggers that happened. I was sitting on my back patio one afternoon reading a, reading a book. Uh, it was actually a book on the masculine, masculine journey. And I kept feeling like I was, I kept being triggered over and over again. And I was going back and forth between panic and grief. And the grief mm -hmm. was, I was reading about things that I didn't get from my father. And the panic was, how am I going to give these things to my son? Wow. And and I, some part in the book, Nate, you've heard the story, but some part in the book was talking about tools we have, tools we don't have. And it triggered this thought, this, this story in my head that when I was in college, I was thinking about tools. When I was in college, my semester, I had moved into my own apartment. I guess I was 20, 21. And... and uh, we were trying to hang some stuff up in this apartment that had plaster walls. And we, have, we literally didn't have any tools, any hand tools. We were trying to, you know, put stuff in the walls, like posters, you know, whatever, Jimi Hendrix posters or whatever. <laughs> and 
and I went under this kitchen sink and found this bag of potatoes that we had we had bought, and they were starting to grow eyes because you know we were twenty one year old kids who didn't know how to cook potatoes anyway. So here I was trying to bang nails into a wall with a potato, <laughs> and <laughs> and I'm here to tell it doesn't work. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there on my back patio, and I'm thinking about a kid without tools, and so mm-hmm. I just I turned to Christina and said, "I'll be back in a little while." Julian's 14 at this point. I went and I found him in the neighborhood in the car. He said, where are we going? I said, we're going to Home Depot. He said, why? I said, there's no son of mine going to use a potato for a hammer. <laughs> so, which, which he thought was maybe a metaphor for something. Or uh, <laughs> Yeah, he thought, yeah, yeah. But he was, you know, at this point, he's kind of used to a little bit of wackiness. Um, so we went to Home Depot. I bought one of those $10 uh, orange toolboxes yeah. and I filled it with about a hundred dollars worth of tools <laughs> yeah and and so you know it was just it, it's that kind of thing where I just felt like I was always pushing back pushing back pushing back against what you know what what I I didn't have and then there was one other thing that that um pushed me along the path to do this rite of passage and that was um I had talked to uh, a lot of us know uh, our good friend here in Franklin Al Andrews who's a wonderful counselor mm-hmm. and therapist and I was having lunch with Al one day, and he told me this great story. His son, Hunter, I believe Hunter had just turned 15, maybe not even, maybe he was 14. And he did what he had, I think he'd called it an initiation walk, and it was Hunter's birthday. And he had he got some guys together, and they went to a, a local park, and the guys all kind of were uh, down along a path, walking along a path, and the last guy in the path was Hunter's grandfather, who he didn't know was there. And Hunter did this little walk, and each guy gave him – I think gave him a gift and walked with him for a little bit. And then Hunter met his grandfather at the, at the end. And his grandfather was a world war two vet. And he had something, some memorabilia, some very significant memorabilia that he gave to Hunter. And so Al is telling me this story and I'm just blown away. Uh, it's just yeah. that he had done this for his son. And that was, that was the beginning that really triggered me that I, I needed to do something when my son you know, turned 16. So I, uh, I had been to Richard Rohr's, uh, by the way, when, when Richard was on the show, was it about a month ago now? Yeah. A month, um, six weeks, something like know, that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I called in, uh, our, our good Heath later told me, he said, you sounded so nervous. And I, and I was cause, cause Richard Rohr is like, he's, he's a rock star <laughs> to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I know for a lot of us, um, but, but Richard, was the one that um, I, when I read his book, Adam's return, he put this concept into my brain that, that there were, that there are five, five truths, five hard truths that any man has to realize that has to, you know, not just, not just think about, but has to embody um, to, to be an initiated man. And, and, and those are that life is hard. You're not in control. You're going to die. You are not that important, and your life is not about you. Wait, can we say mm-hmm. those again slow so we can, like, ponder each one for a second? So five Life truths, is hard. Every, life is hard. You are not in control. Mm-hmm. You are going to die. Mm-hmm. You are not that important, and your mm-hmm. life is not about you. Mm-hmm. And he had he had gone, you know, he had been studying, you know, cultural, you know, all different kinds of cultural initiations, you know, throughout, throughout the world for, for about three years at this point. And, and that was like the, those were the basic five that he got out of all of the rites of passage. And so I started thinking about that. I went to my guys on Monday night, um, that I'd been meeting with for, you know, several years. And I said, I want to do this. And I asked our friend Dave Carlson, if I could use his property for something that I hadn't quite conceived yet. And he said, yes. And I asked the men if they would be involved on some level that I hadn't conceived of yes yet. And they all said yes. And then I knew I was screwed because I'd said I was going to do something. And, and they're the kind of guys that make me do the things that I say that I'm going to yeah. do. Um, so I sat on it for a little while and I think it was maybe six or seven months later, I, I guess it was another Monday night and they were asking me about it. And that night I went to, I went to bed and I woke up around two in the morning and, and I've got to be honest with you. I'm not a guy that over spiritualizes things. I don't see God in every, in every leaf and every, 
I, I just don't. And about two in the morning, I woke up and I had a profound sense that he wasn't going to let me go back to sleep until I got up and wrote it down. Mm. And I got up in the middle of the night and I wrote the whole thing out. I, it, I, I finally just kind of saw it. And to me, this was kind of the beginning of it was bigger than me and I was just going to follow it all the way to its end. Basically what I did was I took Al's, I took Al's initiation walk in the park and I took those five truths and I smashed them together and I conceived of this whole thing that during Julian's birthday week, I would deliver each of those truths to him on a stone, on a, on a river, on a river stone, you know, like a two or three pound stone. And, uh, you know, painted on there. I ended up using Sharpie cause it worked better. But, um, so on the, during the course of his birthday week on, on Monday, I gave him the first message. I told him, you know, I woke how him did, up out of a dead. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Go Tell ahead. us how you did that. Yeah. Well, I woke him up out of a dead sleep about 6 a.m. on a Monday morning in February, and I said, uh, <laughs> <laughs> "I said, once again, men needing needing to be shaken, <laughs> right?" Yeah. So I I shook him by the shoulder. I said, "Julian, Julian, wake up." My son's name is Julian, and um, I said, "Meet me in the backyard in five minutes." And he, I had already told him that his birthday week was going to be special in a way that he wasn't expecting. So he he knew something was up. So he comes out there, and we have this little bridge across a creek in our backyard. It sounds cooler than it is, but it's cool enough. And uh, so he meets me on the bridge, just like looking at me like, what in the world? And so I take this stone out of my pocket, and I just said, I just want to tell you that you are not in control. And then I, I said something else cryptic, and I said, put it on your desk. So he went up. He Walked away. I just walked past and went back in the house. And so that began a whole week of I delivered one message a day for the whole week. Um, I'll just tell quickly. Uh, none of this is all going that quickly, but I'll just tell you quickly that my favorite one and the weirdest one was, of course, um, telling your 15, almost 16 year old son, you are going to die. Yeah. And I decided I would I would write that message on a brick because it felt like a brick to me. And. That night, I think that was the Wednesday night, I um, I shut off all the lights in the house. He was out skateboarding at a skate park with some friends. I knew when he was coming home, and I went out. I locked all the doors, shut the lights off, and then I went outside and waited for him by the side of the house. <laughs> and uh, he got dropped off, and he couldn't get in the house. He kept banging and banging, and finally I turned on my flashlight, pitch black. I shined it in my face, and I said, Julian, follow me. So he, I see his shoulders go down. He's like, oh, what is <laughs> So I go running across the backyard over the bridge, and he follows me out there. And I had this long black peacoat on, and I had the brick around my – I put a rope through it. I had it around my neck. And um, and he's like – he said, what? And I opened my, my coat, and I said, son, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but – you're going to die. And I put it around. <laughs> wow. I hope everybody stays tuned in for the whole story. Cause I realize right now I sound psychotic. Well, it's, um, just tell everybody you were wearing clothes under the pea coat with the brick and they'll stay tuned in Scott. Okay. I'm, I'm sure nobody thought of that except you, Aaron, but, um, <laughs> just trying to keep it safe, a safe container. Okay, right. Yeah. We want to have a safe container. You're right. So this, right. so this was how the so week how, progressed. Wait, how did and, he and respond on, to that? Because that's heavy, but but it's also weird. So how did he? he I, I want to know. He what you know what what Roar calls liminal space, which is that space where you're knocked you're knocked off center and you're teachable and you're just in a in a state. He was in a state. He he didn't know what was going on. So I, I finished out the week by on Valentine <laughs> on Valentine's Day. His birthday's the fifteenth. On the fourteenth. Um, his sister's got lovely valentines and chocolates, and he got a rock that said, you are not that important on it. And then on his birthday, the 15th, um, I took him out. His mother had planned him a surprise party. Um, I took him out to keep him out of the house. And as we pulled back in the driveway, and they were all in there hiding about to yell surprise, um, I gave him the last stone. And it said, your life is not about you, which I thought was really great because as, you know, as he went into a surprise party, it was all about him. Yeah, yeah. And 
And so he had he had five stones on his desk on Friday night. On Saturday morning, I went in his room at about 5 a.m., and I stole them all. I took all of them. And then I took – my heart's beating really fast as I'm telling this story. Um, so then I took them all to this park that we've been taking the kids to um, since they were toddlers. Uh, we hiked the Blue Trail at Edwin Warner Park all the time throughout their whole life. And so I took the stones, and I hid them along the trail, all but one of them. Uh, I kept the you are not in control out. I hid the stones, and then I, I went to the cafe, and I sat, and I, what I did was I wrote out this in, entire treasure map kind of quest thing. And it, it entailed – basically, the, the story was while you were sleeping, the enemy came and took what was yours. And you basically, you might say good roots, but you know in your heart that you need these messages. So what, what I need you to do is the king is away on, on a kingdom business, and the queen is going to accompany you on this quest, the queen being his mother. She has the key. Uh, and so I wrote this whole elaborate quest thing that included photos of where the stones were hidden and and some stuff that was that he could take this journey, kind of a symbolic final journey with his mom as he went into the world of men. Um, and then I then went out to the property where I had prepared this um, this initiation walk, just like Al's with 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 men. So he went off to find the stones, and they did that. And I had asked five or uh, five six men. Nate was one of the one of the men that had either known Julian since he was young or had walked with me for a significant amount of time and his uncle from Atlanta to be along the path. And so when Julian finished the, and what I had asked them was basically the metaphor being, he's going to have these heavy things in his backpack. And as he comes up to you, I would ask that you ask him for one of the stones and then give him something good for his journey. You know, take something heavy and give him some food or fuel, you know, basically for his journey. And he told him a great story. Uh, my friend Jim had some kind of gift that was like a, a heart and a brain. He he talked he talked about hearts and brains. My good friend Steve Mason gave him uh, those silver Chinese balls, you know, and he told mm-hmm. the story about balls. <laughs> uh, <laughs> each, wait, wait, each man is, had. Can I can I stop you for a second, Scott? Because you 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 skipped over part of the story here. You jumped ahead, and I. You're trying to rush it, but I don't want you to rush it. Can okay. we go back to the park? Well, the queen yeah, I was going to kind of, I was oh, going to kind of bring them together. Oh, okay. okay, go ahead. I just want you to miss yeah, that it, transition. Well, basically, I was out at the property, like installing the men on this on this journey part of the thing, and then there was a, a big bonfire area where we were all going to meet afterwards, and other men had come as well. So I think we had about twenty. 20 men at the property where it was all going to culminate. So Julian is on his quest while we're getting set up out there. And Julian's quest culminates with, he, he gets to the end and on the treasure map, whatever you want to call it book uh, at the very end, I, I didn't allow him to find the fifth stone. Uh, our good friend, Kyle, who Julian didn't know at the time, <laughs> was the was he he came to the park and he was he was there at the very end back where the cars were where they were going to be leaving from, so I'm sure Julian thought that you know the end of his quest was coming and he was going to get to go home and play Xbox. So, but what what happened was I had only hidden four of the stones and Kyle had the fifth stone and he was standing there at the end of the path, all dressed all in black and this big imposing guy and as Christine and. Christine and Julian were walking up to the end. Kyle stepped out in the middle of the path and said, are you looking for this? And he held out the stone. And once again, so Julian just looked at his mother like, what's happening now? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So, so we had a little script there, and Kyle said, uh, Christine, Julian needs to go with me. Men are waiting. Mm. And And Christine now, who is... Now she's getting the weight of the moment, even for herself. She starts crying, <laughs> oh, and she said, "And she said, I don't want him to go with you." <laughs> oh. So 
so they go back and forth a little bit, and finally, says to her, Christine, I need the key. Men are waiting. So she had this skeleton key around her neck. Um, if, if you know anything about the Iron John story, that uh, the queen yeah. has the key under her pillow, you know, and she needs to give she needs to give it up, you know, so her son can can become a man, so he can leave. That's way oversimplifying it, but I just thought I'd throw it in because I love Iron John uh, symbolism. So she finally takes the key off, gives it to Kyle. Now, now Julian is just wide-eyed and completely freaked out. And and she said, Julian, go with this man. You can trust him. So he gets in Kyle's car, and Kyle had a CD that I'd given him with some music on it that really Julian and I was were sharing at the time. So he would. It was kind of an unspoken message for me, like I'm here, you know, I'm just not here. So. Julian was pissed. He's in the car. He's driving out about, it's about a half hour drive, 25 minutes from where he was. And he won't even talk to Kyle. You know, and I told Kyle, well, don't really talk to him anyway. He's, you know, just, just be really direct and answer his questions as much as you can, but don't say much to him. Don't be chatty. So he drives out to the property and he dropped them off at the bottom of the hill. And it's dark and now, he, right? Oh, it's dark now. And it's about, I think it was about, 30 degrees as the sun was going down <laughs> mm-hmm. and it was getting colder. So Kyle gives him a white t-shirt and said, put this on, you know, white being the initiate, you know, the color of the initiate, you know, beginning yeah. karate student, beginning, you know, white. And he said, put this on. So Julian takes his sweatshirt off and puts the t-shirt on. And I think he left it in the car. He was freezing by the end of this. So, so he gives him a flashlight and then, and said, walk up that hill and um, so see so the he first man. flashlight and the backpack with the five and the rocks. backpack with the five rocks. Thank you, Aaron. But he also, oh, and I threw in, just for just for the hell of it, I threw in a whistle just in case. <laughs> <laughs> Good dad. Good dad. <laughs> yeah, so he get, and, and Kyle said, oh, yeah, and here's a whistle just in case. Didn't say anything else. <laughs> oh, man. So he walked up to the first man who was our ritual elder, which is Dave Carlson. And Dave asked him two questions. He said, um, you're about to start this journey. And I just want to ask you two things that you need to think about in life. And the two questions are, where are you going and who will go with you? Which Mm -hmm. was great. I didn't ask Dave to say that. I thought it was awesome. So then Julian started up the hill. And I guess about, I don't know, Nate, is it? Is it a mile all the way around? Maybe. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. It's a, it's a yeah. long road up through the woods. So so uphill in the dark, um, gravel path, driveway, honestly, a gravel driveway just like winds around and goes all up through the, through the hill. Julian took his trek and met each man on the way. They took a heavy thing out of his backpack. They gave him something good for the journey. And he got to his Uncle David last. I'm, I, I know he was so relieved to see, you know, family, someone who has known him since he was a baby. And so at this point, every guy that has walked with him for a period until he got to the next man is coming back to the fire now where I'm waiting with all the other men. So I'm getting these reports, you know. He's cold. He's freaked out. Um, the second to last guy says, he looks like he might cry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so finally we see them coming from the last station and, uh, and Dave had made a great bonfire and we threw some dead Christmas trees on it and it starts roaring. And I think he even set off some fireworks. And so we started hooping it up like, you know, like guys around a bonfire with drums are supposed to do. And, and, you know, the last guy had told me, my friend Glenn, man, really cold he's really freaked out so i'm thinking what have i done to my son this is so stupid i'm now losing complete confidence in what i've done and so um i see them and they're about 100 yards away and i i I just couldn't take it anymore i had his you know i had his jacket kyle had brought it to and so i just kind of took off running and my brother-in-law sensing you know a father-son moment he kind of peeled off and just and uh so so we embrace and uh I just off the cuff, I just said, you know, I, I can't walk up. I can't, I won't always be there to walk up the hill with you, but I'll always be waiting fi- by the fire. Ugh. And uh, so, so we had, man, I can never get through that part. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so then we had this great time of celebration around the fire, and the other men got to tell him some things. Um, our good friend Art told him a story about how his father initiated him, which was very harsh. Uh, our friend Eric had brought Julian this gift of this cross, and he was so emphatic. All Julian remembers was, I thought Eric was going to hit me with the cross. Uh, <laughs> And there's some other wonderful gifts and other wonderful words. And then our, our resident sage and poet, our good friend David Bunker, he he basically, to every one of those messages, he gave the gospel antidote. Life is hard, but, you know, you know, I will always be with you. I'll never, you know, I will, you know. So to every message, there's obviously a, a, an, an, a gospel antidote, and we call it the common wonderful from Richard Rohr. And every time he would finish, Julian would throw one of the stones in the fire. And and that's pretty much how it ended. You know, we I, I believe we anointed him, we prayed for him, and then we invited him to join the men around the fire. And yeah. then we ate some chili and hot dogs, and everybody went home. And so, so that really is the whole story. I know it's kind of long, but the reality of what I what I think we were doing, and what I what I what I think the the biggest thing about rites of passage for, for boys, especially young men, is that we're installing, we're installing some software. You know, it's like a, it's like one of those operating system upgrades that, that kind of gets activated later, you know? And, yeah, yeah. And that's honestly what I think we're doing when we're, when we're talking about rites of passage and, and initiation, that we're, we're giving you something that you don't even know what it is or what to do with it, but it's going to be activated. Um, yeah. So, so that's so five that's the story five, there. Five years later, have you had conversations with Julian where that that night or that whole week has come back and he's reflected on it and given you insight into what it meant to him as of now? Not that it won't mean more because it's not all activated yet, but. Yeah. What what are some things you've learned in the last five years about that week? It's a great question. I, I the thing the thing about my son is he's 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 actually he's less effusive than I am. He's a lot more like his mom, who who she kind of keeps her gold and spends it very wisely. I tend to scatter it around and mm-hmm. buy, buy rounds for everybody, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so I think in a lot of ways he's kept it, he's kept it for himself. Now he yeah. has told me that that night took him to his edge, like on every, on every level. Um, and you know, my, my thing was, I wanted to, I wanted to be somewhere in between, you know, taking him out and buying him a $75 steak at a restaurant and uh, reading scripture to him and sending him out to kill a wolf like in 300, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Aaron, the best way I can answer your question is that what I've I've heard other people say about my son, um, especially as I've sat in groups of young men, which is – Julian was part of a a group at church that I got – I was honored to be a part of – being with from sophomore to senior year in high school. And I heard them one night we did what we call a gold round where we just speak gold to each other. And the gold that I heard them speak to my son about what a leader he was, what a solid person he was, what a, um, someone that they could go to, like all of these things were the things that I know that could not have been said about me at 16, 17, 18 years old. I mean, I know my own journey. I, I was not that. So to hear those things spoken to my son, I'm not directly relating it to the initiation, but I know the quality of a young man he is and he is becoming. And so I've gotten to see it activated in other ways, not from him telling me. I guess yeah. that's the way I can tell you. You know, Scott, I get to see Julian from time to time in Franklin. Uh, we, uh, I run into him. He, 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 uh, I wouldn't say he hangs out. He's not so much a hangout kind of guy during the day. It looks like he's, he's purposeful. Um, but I run into him uh, at Starbucks or at the Frothy Monkey, um, and here's what I've noticed. Sometimes uh, he'll be deep in conversation with another man or a couple of guys. It looks like maybe it's a business meeting or something, so I don't want to intrude. Uh, occasionally, he'll catch my eye and give me a little bit of an eye- eyebrow salute. But what I <laughs> – and, and other times, you know, we get to have a, a quick conversation. 
what so impresses me about Julian is um, the the direct way that he engages me and other men. He looks me directly in the eye. Uh, it's not like uh, it doesn't appear to come from a place. Uh, he's not trying to be a man. He comes from a, a, that directness comes from a. It's not a challenge of any kind. It's simply he's stepping into the circle. And um, oh, I, I, yeah, I hear that. And, and uh, yeah. I, I do sense a settled. I do sense a settled, uh, a, a settled nature in him. Um, now, once again, uh, you know, he's he's a he's a young man. He's a knuckle. He's a sinner. He's a. So yeah. I, I hope in no way anybody that's listening is going. It, you know. It, I, I know, I know myself. I know my son. I, I'm right. not trying to talk about this in any kind of hero way. All I want, I, the thing that I would like most to, to get out there is just that the idea of intentionality with your boy. <laughs> you yeah. Right. Let me let me that, give this let me give the caveat for you, Scott, because I don't think you should have to give the caveat for yourself. Um, it would not be fair, even as you were telling the story. I was thinking, ah, this is such an important story. I loved it the first time I heard it. Heck, I loved it like the third time I heard it. I heard it from Nate. I've heard it from you. Everybody loves to hear this story, and I was not for one second bored hearing it again today. But part of me is like, ah, this is so intimate. It's so personal. It's personal to you, Julian, Christine. It's it's personal to your whole family, yeah. but, it, and it's not fair because it puts that expectation of, oh, initiation means the day after you ate hot dogs and had chili around the bonfire, everything changed for this boy <laughs> who's now a man, right. and that's not true. Uh because he had to re-enter a world where all the other boys were uninitiated. And that's confusing. So any dad who is purposeful with his son has to know he's sending a son into a world of boys whose fathers were not purposeful with them. Mm. And that that sets up confusion and conflict in their heads that they're going to have to work out. But you've been purposeful, so that gives him the tools. You gave him a hundred bucks of tools and his ten dollar toolbox to deal with that crap. <laughs> but that doesn't that mean good, that he yeah. doesn't have crap. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um Hey Scott, can I can I jump in and ask a, a quick question? <clears throat> Just absolutely. Me, by the way. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't have kids. I, I hope that that one day God honors me with, with that. And I, I I just think it would be, be fantastic. And I I hear you talking about the process for your son and and kind of what it means to him as the son. What did it mean to you as a father to to do that for him? Because it seemed like you went to a lot of trouble and a lot of effort. What did it, what did it mean to you uh, that you were able to do that to him? Yeah, that's great question. Um, you know, as I, I've told this story a, a lot of times, and every time I tell it, uh, I'm actually surprised today of, of the emotion that's coming up again. And you know, I appreciated Aaron talking about the intimacy of it because it is a very it, it is a very private thing. And as other dads have asked me about, you know, well, if I was going to do this, you know, I always say, well, you know, your boy, don't do what I did, you know, like yeah. if I, I love that you want to do something, but you know, your boy, so. If, if there's a model here, I mean, I stole, I stole from everybody and, and made this thing up, you know? So, right. so, so, so yes, it is a very intimate thing. So what did it do for me? I said earlier how, you know, it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. And then, you know, I make all these huge statements and, but what it did for me was it, it, one, it solidified the fact that I am formed in community. I did not do this mm. by myself. So mm. many men came alongside me and did every single thing I asked of them. So, like, some just really crazy what Kyle did, going out to the park. Mm-hmm. Um, what these guys did, thinking about my son. And I told them, don't talk to him about me. He knows all about this stuff I say. Tell him about you. Like, these men had to think about what they were going to give to my son. Men went out and bought things. 
uh, they took a Saturday off, like all of this stuff, right? So one, what it did for me was realize that one, I'm loved. Two, I am. This community has uh, formed me and 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 wrapped me in in their care and will come out for me. So I need to I need to respond to that as well. And I've been to a lot of rites of passage now of other of other because I know what was done for me. So I'll do it for other men as well. Yeah. And then two, the spiritual aspect of it for me was like I went back and I read through the treasure map the other day. I wrote it in about an hour sitting in a Starbucks because I was pressed mm. for time. And as I read it, I was going, where the hell did this come from? Mm-hmm. It was beyond. <laughs> I'm, not that, I'm not that smart or that creative in, that, yeah. in these regards. And it came out of me. So, one, it connected me to, to something way bigger, and I realized that God was in it. So, and then the other thing it did was it made me realize um, – it was an act. Of, it turned out that it was an act of obedience, and so I was able to go. I was able. To, I, I don't often say yes to God, but I said yes to God on this, and the blessing that has flowed out of it, not just for my family, but for for other people in the telling of the story and other yeah. people done similar things, has been huge. So that's how I would answer that. Okay. What well, are, I, I what can about, tell you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Let me follow up your question. What about the piece of what your dad? You know, your dad dropped you off at the curb at 14 emotionally. What healing came to you? Because I think there's a lot of listeners right now that yeah. their dad didn't give them what they needed. So what happened in your heart when you gave your son what you didn't get? Well, that's great. Uh, I, I I don't think, I think it was, it's been a separate journey, Aaron, for me. I, I don't, I, I can't distinctly I can't distinctly look at this experience. Uh, I don't know that any any great healing happened from my own story. Uh, um, I haven't I haven't I haven't thought about that question a lot, honestly. But but what I will say is this: There's a weekend that um, some good friends of ours here do in town. It's called the Father's Heart Weekend. Um, it's for boys. I think eight to twelve, yeah. and their fathers Glenn, and they're, yeah. they're Glenn um, just on, it's a, Glenn was just on talking about it a couple weeks ago. Oh, great. Okay, celebrate the boy, oh, man. I love their, I love their motto. I love what they do. I've gotten to be a part of it. I've gotten to bring some of this, uh, some of some of this stuff that we're talking about right now, even to that weekend. I've gotten to do the, uh, the ceremony at the end, the affirmation ceremony, and I bring some of this stuff we've been talking to into that ceremony. So after that ceremony, at the very first Father's Heart weekend, this is a roundabout way of answering your question. On the end of that weekend, at the end of that ceremony. We go back and we talk to the fathers now. We send the boys off to watch a movie because what we found was after this affirmation ceremony where the men, the fathers, are speaking to their sons and saying, here's who you are. Here's, here, you know, here's what I see in you, this beautiful thing that happens. What was happening was it was stirring up the fathers so much. Like what I was talking about earlier, it was stirring up the grief. Well, I didn't get that, you know. And so we realized we needed a time of decompression for the dads to kind of talk about this stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess what I, what I'm how I'm answering your question is there's a there's definitely a healing that that has that needs to be done um, in the in the dads before they can they can actually give some to their sons. So any dads that are thinking about you know like well, I want to give my son a rite of passage experience. Kind of the, in, in a way, the bad news is that you can only give your son something if if you have some of it already. You know, like so. What I would say, you know, is if you haven't been through some significant experience, you know, thought about these things, um, you're in danger of if you if you do some kind of ceremony or whatever. I think you're in danger of like making a parody of it, or or it's yeah. very very worst end of the spectrum that it could end up being kind of a joke you know and because kids man at 14 15 15 they're they're bullshit detectors they're set on stunt they're gonna know yeah. if it's real or not, you know <laughs> yeah. Wait, okay, yeah. okay 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 let me let me pause for translation um i'm picturing yeah, I'm <laughs> no I'm, I'm picturing somebody whose heart is stirred right now from listening mm-hmm. to your story because their dad was not you in the in the effort and intentionality department. 
And so they're like, I want to be that. But you just said the bad news is if you haven't gone there, you can't give it. And that's so <laughs> important. True. Yeah. But that can't be discouraging. There's, you know, it's like the fact that listeners, the fact that your heart is stirred means something. Yeah? Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the fact that your heart is stirred means this is what you're supposed to be given to your kids. So don't don't turn your brains off when you stop listening to this. You've got sons that need more than your fathers gave you because your fathers may well have sucked at being fathers. So screw that. Don't be that. It wasn't good right. enough. Let me, let me just into that, Aaron, and I know I've been talking the whole time, but I want to say this. If you're a listener of this podcast, if you're a Samson Society Pirate Monk podcast listener, you've already – I mean, the reason you're listening to this is you, you already care about these things, right? If you're going to Samson meetings regularly, if you're sitting in a circle and putting your stuff out there and you're, you know, if you're one of the you've, – you've already done some of this work. You're already being honest and authentic. I hope you are. I hope you have a silence. I hope you're talking to somebody. Um, so, so, yeah, already in the door – and be encouraged. Don't be discouraged. But but I do want to say authenticity to to, to young men. I mean, they, they smell you coming a mile away if, if it's not authentic. Um, and if I could just real briefly as well plug um, plug the new Adam uh, please do the new Adam weekend. Um, yeah, I was, I was just we, have, say, we have a new yeah, website. We have a new yeah, website. Hold on, hold on. Um, yeah. Before you do that, before you do that, because yeah. you're you're running ahead. If there is a man that says, okay, I get all of that, but I have not been initiated. I don't, And I remember when you said this to me, Scott, and it, it felt like it, I, I didn't like that you said it, but I understood <laughs> what you meant when you said, I don't trust a man who hasn't been initiated. I so, Did it was I, probably like are you sure I said it? Are you sure I said I, it like that? It, it seared in my mind. Now, oh, you might not have meant it, like you might take it back, but it was like a moment where, and I don't think I had gone to New Adam. I don't think I had been initiated, and so there was a big like f u in my mind when you said that. Uh, so, and that's cool. That's not a rebuke on you, it, but there was something true about it, which is why it stuck with me. So it's not a rebuke. So there are certain guys who are thinking, okay, well, I haven't been through anything that gives me insight into how to give this to my son. There are rites of passages for adult men to go through, and it's not just silliness. It's not, hey, let's pretend to be uh, some African Zulu that goes and kills uh, a monkey with a blow dart. Wait, am I incorporating South African <laughs> and African? <laughs> I don't know, man. I just like monkey with a blow dart. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. You know, there's, it's, it's not just silliness. It is saying, all right, I never had a chance to stand as a man with men and do yeah. something that's hard. And I've even talked to men recently about this, and I said straight up to them, I don't think you could go. You're you're way too proud for this. You, you're, you're not ready to surrender to the process, which I'm hoping will get their arrogance up and they'll go. Like, that's, you know, I'm totally doing reverse psychology on them, but I do think that they're, it's going to be hard for them. So there are opportunities, dads, for you yeah. to go through something hard so that you can nurture your kids into it. Scott, explain. A, cu- a couple, a few come to mind. Um, there's uh, R- Richard Rohr's, um the MROP, the Men's Rite of Passage, is a four, it's, it's honestly a five-day it's a five-day um, rite of passage. Uh, I, I did it about five years ago. It's phenomenal. And on the last night, I looked around, about 60 or 70 men, and I realized with gratitude, this has already happened for me. And where it happened for me was on something called the New Adam Weekend, which um, Nate and Aaron have both been on. Mm-hmm. I, I'll just say this about the I'll just say this about the New Adam Weekend. It is one of the most significant. Uh, out of the hundreds of guys that have gone through, there are very few that didn't say it was one of the most significant weekends of their life. Very few. Um, yeah. 
And so we have a new website. I mean, I'm not going to tell you a whole lot about the weekend. It's a, it's a red passage. It's an opportunity for you to get a really good look. Um, it's newadamweekend.com. We'll send you some information about the weekends if you'd like to have that kind of experience. Uh, also, there's a there's a program called New Warriors. It's not a Christian or- organization, but they do rites of passage as well. Uh, that's really what comes to mind. And, and uh, obviously, go to a Samson meeting and talk to your Silas, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so well, the bottom line is do the work. If this touches your heart that you want to give it to your kids, then dads do the work. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Aaron. That I mean, yeah, I mean I've I've been yes, thank you. Do the work. I didn't want to be as dogmatic as that, but do your work, man. <laughs> and because you know, the my one of my favorite things that Roar says is pain that is not transformed will be transmitted. Mm. Oh. If we do our own work, if we do if we do our work, if we grieve our losses, if we admit you know, if we work, if we work through our addictions, if we work our programs, if we, then we won't transmit the pain that we have. It'll be transformed, yeah. and out of that transformation comes all of this good stuff. Out of my, out of my loss, out of what I didn't have, and I was able to grieve. I was able to give my son something that I didn't have. Out of, yeah. out of the, out of the shadow, out of the shadow can come great gold. Just yeah. such a wonderful thing. It's such a, such a strange paradox that. Out of our darkest stuff can can come our best stuff as well. And and Nate's whole story, I, I mean, doggone it. The reason we're all here on the phone right now talking about this is because a man stepped into his stepped into his darkness. And look at how much gold has come at, at an, out of Nate's uh, Nate's life, out of the Samson Society, out of the book. It's just it's astounding to me. And I'm I'm so grateful, uh, uh, Nate. Once again, publicly, I'm so yeah. grateful for you and the work that you've been doing all these years. I, my life has been changed completely because you came to town. Oh. Well, thank you, Scott. I'm, uh, yeah, well, God paints us into corners where we really have no, yes. uh, no other choice but to do what's before us, and I'm grateful to have been painted into that one. I'm, I'm, little... so glad you didn't, I'm so glad you didn't discontinue your training, Nate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Yep. You know one of my favorite moments. I, I I know we talked about Allie a little bit earlier. Uh, one of my favorite moments from when Nate was working on the book and talking to us, and he was blocked. He he, he wasn't. It wasn't going well. And yeah. Allie, that you guys talked on the phone. She said, "Are you being careful while you're writing it?" And you said yes. And she said, "Stop. Stop yeah. being careful. Stop <laughs> protecting me. Stop protecting." And then you let it fly. Yeah. And, and I mean, all you gotta book. do is read the first all you gotta do is read the first chapter to know that you let it fly. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So. Well and if you can get your if you can get your hands on the uh the version before Thomas Nelson killed the introduction, you'll know it's even better. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you true. one. I'll send you one. <laughs> oh, I've read, oh, I've read it. Okay. Yeah, there you go. I, I don't. We haven't publicized that fact. Yes, it, it was the, the 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 book in its present form has been sanitized somewhat. Well, uh, time has flown. Uh, it was, what a rich hour! Actually, we're over an hour. But uh, Scott, thank you so much for sharing that story. I never tire of the story. I I tell the story myself, although not as well as you told it just now. Um, and I know there are a great many young men here in this local area who have been able to, um, whose lives have been enriched by an experience similar to the one that you gave Julian, uh, merely because you went first. And what you did has inspired other dads. And I'm hopeful that this broadcast just makes those ripples extend further. And I know that you're willing to give away what's been given to you. And I want to thank you for taking this, uh, you know, this private experience and sharing it with the brothers. Thanks, Nate. It, true, truly, I, I mean this. It's a, it's been a, it's a privilege. It really is. Yeah. All right. Well, we have come to the end of our hour. Um, 
sorry we don't have time for any mail, but we'd love to uh, get your message. And uh, if you'd like to write to us, you can reach us here at the podcast by writing to us at Pirate Monk Podcast. No, I'm sorry, Pirate Monk Radio at gmail.com or Samson Podcast at gmail.com. Either one will work. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Or leave a comment on the Facebook page. Do like us there. Uh, if you're listening to us on iTunes, please give us a review. That helps us drive the ratings higher. Thanks to uh, Jay Spiegel, our executive uh, director, a producer, who's done a terrific job, once again, of uh, coordinating a show. Thanks to Newton for joining us again this week. Uh, on behalf of our fearless, peerless engineer, Mondo, our co-host from the West Coast, the Commodore, Aaron Porter, and our once again, our special guest for the, for the week, uh, Scott Dente. This is Nate Larkin saying goodbye. Until next week, from the Pirate Monk Podcast. Give yourself time to hear all of my people to renew your trouble mind. Say whoa!